welcome, Galit and Denise. Thank you for talking with me today. Uh, you are both practicing teachers, correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm on maternity leave right now, but um, until I had my baby, I was. Congratulations. Thanks. And where are you specifically located? Um, so I am in Surrey, British Columbia, Canada, so suburb of Vancouver. Um, yeah, wonderful school district up here in BC. And right now I'm located in Bahrain, teaching in a, um, a bilingual school, Arabic and English speaking school. And just with your classroom work, the first edition of your book, The Genius Hour Guidebook, was born out of your work in the classroom, um, as well as networking with other educators online. And I think this is how I came across the first version of your book on Twitter. And at that same time, my wife was teaching second grade and she had a few students with some significant needs, especially around behavior. I suggested the Genius Hour guidebook and its premise uh, for her at the end of the school day uh, as part of her action research project. She implemented it and the results were impressive. Uh, for one student, their behaviors were reduced by 70%, 70 since implementing Genius Hour. And when she asked kids, you know, what made the difference? They noted that they just wanted to tinker at the end of the day. And your second edition of the book is out now. And I wanted to make other educators aware of the power of Genius Hour in the classroom. So with that, there's certainly more to it than just wanting to tinker. But what is Genius Hour and why should teachers incorporate it into their classrooms? Yeah, I'll go. Uh, I have... We have a good little, I mean, uh, define it in some way, a little, a little bit, you know, it is tinkering as part of it, but um, it's a time in the school week when students are given autonomy, they're empowered to do their own learning, they get to choose what they want to learn. It's a time when teachers get out of the way and let them learn purposefully. That's why those uh, second graders felt uh, empowered. They didn't want to... Um, misbehave because they were entrusted to wonder, to learn, to create, to do research, to take action, to produce things. Um, they can spend time mastering. They choose the learning adventure. So uh, we think they become fearless learners. They make learning um, visible then by sharing their projects or what they've been doing in the process. So, you know, a lot of times with a larger global audience or just at their school level or with people. I mean, it's hard to just put it in a few words, but. No, that's good. Gilly, do you want to add anything? I think the short version of it for me always is it's passion-based and inquiry-based learning kind of smushed together. And you mentioned too, um, trust, that you're trusting the kids to use this time for their own passions and interests. And I believe at some point, was mentioned genius hours should be preceded with building community and relationships and how do teachers know when kids are ready for self-directed learning good question so yeah we talk about that early in the book where we talk about how for us we don't start a genius hour project with a new class until um, we've spent some time building community in the classroom right and so how do you know when you built that community i mean i guess it's just a feeling you have it's hard to say that you know x y and z has to happen before um, before you go. But for me, if I have a new class of students, I generally spend the first few months 
working on building community. So having classroom meetings, going outside and doing leadership challenges, um, playing games together, um, just spending that time getting to know each other um, and building that trust before we say, hey, we want you to do something that can be a little bit risky, right? To, to take a chance and work on a project and share the um, obstacles you're facing with the rest of the class. Like that's some vulnerable work that, um, that they're taking on. And so we want them to have that sense of community first. So I, I thought about this before, you know, I don't know that there's a, you know, this happens and then you know you've built it. It's more of that feeling you get where you, you know that there's some trust here. Um, the kids are getting along well. There's a sense of community. And so for me, if I, our school year goes September to June. So generally I would spend September, October, November, and then not really bother starting in December because we're only there for half the month. So usually a genius hour, we would start when we come back in January after winter break. Um, but that being said, I've also had the pleasure of teaching the same students um, for two or three years in a row. And so, you know, if I have the same group of kids or mostly the same group of kids, we usually start way earlier then because they already know what it's all about and they're eager to start, right? They're, they don't want to wait till term two. They're ready to go. Um, but I guess you as a teacher, every class is going to be different. And so you kind of get that feeling with your kids when you know that. You can tell when when the kids are, are ready by that level of trust between each other and, and among each other, too, because you're asking them to make mistakes and uh, try new things. Yeah. I, I like this quote you included in the book. Uh, it's from Alan November from his book that I've also read and enjoyed, Who Owns the Learning? He said, if we teach one skill to prepare our students to survive in a web-based world, it should be that of critical thinking and the analysis of online information. Mm -hmm. Survive is a strong word, and I would agree with that verb choice. How does Genius Hour strengthen critical thinking with students? Mm, yeah, it's uh, you, you, we we know these last few years in America, especially navigating online information, misinformation, disinformation. It's, it is so critical. It is a matter of survival, isn't it? We have people who are believing conspiracy theories and going like doing crazy things. So critical thinking is a key to healthy living and healthy choices to make needed changes in the world. We, we have to have critical thinkers. And of course, Genius Hour is no panacea for that, but it is a step. It's one step in a process of students learning to trust themselves, to solve their own learning dilemmas, to make uh, good choices and have a mentor, facilitator, teacher with them as they do it. So um, yeah, it can it can happen, you know. And talking about that quote was about online, but but yeah, we we can teach. We have to teach critical thinking. And speaking of online information, any information, I love that you devoted an entire chapter to picture books that inspire kids to engage in Genius Hour. This is a literacy leadership site. Any titles in particular that you would highly recommend for uh, any classroom K-12? 
Um, yeah, we love picture books. They're, they're our favorite. We love them so much. Um, so in the book, we talk about 16 different titles. Um, there's way more, of course, that you could use for Genius Hour. And so I was thinking about that, like, which one would be the, the one go-to one? And it's so hard to pick because there's so many wonderful um, picture books out there. And I totally believe in using picture books all the way up to, you know, any grade level. Um, when I taught um, um, education students at university, we use picture books there too. So um, definitely encourage the use of picture books for all grades. Um, I think the one I've used the most is called um, The Most Magnificent Thing um, with a little girl that is working on her own project trying to create the most magnificent thing right so she's a little maker and um, she gets quite frustrated in the book when things don't go right and and her her little project falls apart and um so that's the one I've probably used the most in class to kind of teach persistence and um sticking to it right like she gets quite frustrated but she goes for a walk and you know takes a break, takes a breather from her project and then comes back at it with fresh eyes. And, um, and so we have a good conversation with the kids around that book um, because a lot of them do get frustrated, right? They've chosen a topic or an inquiry question and they go at it and then partway through, they're like, no, I wanna quit. This is stupid, it's not working, I can't do it, right? And so just going back to um, you know, those character traits that we learn from the picture books and you know talking about what that little girl did right and the most magnificent thing so that for me is a personal favorite i really like that one but um goodness there's so many right uh rosie revere engineer anything by peter reynolds like there's so many good choices i i would yeah i my favorites are uh the dot and the word collector by peter h reynolds like yeah. I think I brought Everything several of those home with my own kids, you know, based on that list. I was at the public library and checking out those books and just made them available uh, to read on their own and, and get some inspiration. So it was a, it's a very helpful curated list. Thinking broader with a crowded curriculum and even greater constraints with the pandemic, how can leaders convince or persuade teachers at least to incorporate genius hours as part of their day? I, I love the way you worded that question, actually, because I, I feel like teachers, yeah, if they know about it and want to do it, they just want permission. So if a leader is willing to let them try, then I think they're going to jump all over that. You know, we're, but, but you're right, the curriculum is crazy. We, we went from, I only had seven periods of English in fifth grade. We went down to two in the pandemic. So it's, it, how, how do you even begin to teach? We're not teaching the curriculum really anyway. I mean, not can't make even justice of it, but I did do Genius Hour last spring and it was just such a fr fresh air for the learning environment. The kids were so happy and it was just out of the routine and they became, uh, they were just at home working. So they had all their supplies handy and they made the messes at home. It was easier for me too, but they did art and cooked and learned music and languages and played and sang. And it was just beautiful. And not only that, they were doing English curriculum because we're, we're a bilingual school. These are second language learners. So they were defending their proposals. They were um, doing these beautiful presentations on Flipgrid and 
um, giving good feedback to each other. So, so, so much English language going on as well. And I think if the leaders are willing to let them do it, it is a beautiful, healthy uh, way to spend some of this pandemic curriculum. And we can still find, you know, we always were finding curriculum ties in, weren't we, Galit? It is, it is curriculum giving them permission to learn on their own. You bring up a good point that um, you don't have to separate Genius Hour from the rest of it. It can be a part of it and really an independent opportunity to apply those skills. And you list quite a few standards in the book and how this applies really in any subject area. What is one thing you would recommend to a teacher new to Genius Hour and wanting to give it a try and experience initial success? My, my gut reaction is to say, just do it. <laughs> That's the one thing. Just don't be scared and just give it a try. You can reflect afterwards as you know we do on any lesson or unit that we teach, right? Reflect afterwards and say, okay, what could I do to make it better next year uh, or next term? Um, but give it a go. Don't be afraid is kind of my first reaction. And then the second one would be, okay, now, now slow down. <laughs> And take your time with it, really introduce it properly, read the picture books, watch the inspiring videos, um, do your own Genius Hour project and share it with the kids, right? And then let them go and then just have fun and see where they end up and you'll learn along the way. And then at, you know, at the end, reflect and just figure out, okay, what can we do di differently next year to make it better? Like I know, you know, the first Genius Hour project we did in in our classes. I mean, that was quite a few years ago, Denise. I don't remember the year, but it was, I don't know. It was, it was a long time ago. 10 years ago. Um, no, 10 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, like it, the way I do it now is a little bit differently than the way I did it then. Right. Like you, you learn as you go each time and, and make little tweaks and changes and improvements to make it better suit yourself and your current group of kids too. Right. Like it's, different depending on your class. But yeah, I guess number one tip, just do it. Just go for it. Have fun. Jump in. Don't be scared. And um, yeah, part B to that is now that you've just jumped in, slow down a bit and uh, take the time to properly introduce it. You don't need to jump right to doing projects, right? Like get excited first, get inspired, brainstorm, do all those steps first that we talk about in the book. And the idea of the teacher doing a genius hour project in front of the kids and the kids seeing the teacher excited about a personal project has to be impactful for the kids, right? Well, thank you, Galit and Denise. Uh, the book is the Genius Hour Guidebook. It's in its second edition, which always means a lot of teachers got their hands on the first edition. And so there's a lot, I've read both editions. There's more information um, in this current version, and I would highly recommend it for any teacher, any grade level. So Thank you for putting this out in the world and good luck with you and the rest of the school year. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt.